0: Hi! This is Annie from the Smithsonian American Art Museum's Loose Foundation Center. Since 2011, we've hosted Loose Unplugged, a free monthly concert series that celebrates the work of local musicians. Now we are partnering with Hometown Sounds to bring you tracks from DC artists we love. For more on Loose Unplugged, visit americanart.si.edu/loose/unplugged. There you'll find a complete list of Loose Unplugged artists, videos of past performances, and artist interviews on our blog, iLevel. We look forward to welcoming you back to the museum once it's safe to hold concerts again. Until then, stay well, stay in touch, and enjoy these tunes from our neighbors in the DMV.
1: Hey, welcome back to Hometown Sounds. We show you how DC rocks. I'm Tony Pareco.
2: I'm Paul Vodra, and this is the Loose Listening Party, presented with our friends at the Loose Foundation Center in the Smithsonian American Art Museum. They usually host the Loose Unplugged live music series in their amazing space, and hopefully soon we can get back to helping them present amazing dc bands in that amazing space and in the meantime we are partnering with them for these loose listening party podcast episodes where we have interviews with and play songs by musicians that we would love to feature on that stage and this week's episode features Bartiz Strange Abra, 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 look on the- just heard Boomer from Barty Strange's 2020 breakout album Live Forever. You should definitely have that in your
1: music library if you do not already. So before we jump into our interview with Barty Strange, we need to let you know that due to a technical glitch in the recording, you won't be hearing the first few minutes of our session together. And the interview portion is going to start with us asking him a question. And that's going to start right now.
2: Speaking of, of touring, you're also, I believe, going to be performing at the Pitchfork Music Festival in Paris in, in November. Um, you're also going to be playing our hometown favorite club, the 930 Club, uh, with Lucy Dacus. Is that, a, is that like kind of a goal of yours to be playing that sort of stage and, and going on tour with
0: acts like that? Oh, my God. Yes. And I'm a huge Lucy Dacus fan. I think she's awesome. And, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful me and like my whole band like we're all just like is this real you know like i've like been to the sh- shows at 930 club for years and watched how many dozens of videos and live shows on youtube bands playing at 930 club it's one of the ones you know that i think every artist is like i would do a lot to play there and uh i'm stoked i'm i'm super pumped to do it
2: you've spoken in the past about your gratitude to chad clark of beauty pill Uh, Can you tell us more about how he helped you find your feet as a musician in D.C.? And were you a fan of Beauty Pill
0: growing up? Oh, my God, dude. Chad Clark is the freaking greatest. He's the best. He's seriously the greatest and um, living legend. And I mean, shout out to that guy. He is like more than he knows or would admit. He has like been a major positive force in my life. I first found out about Smart Went Crazy When I was in middle school. Oh, wow. What? Yes. Just reading zines, like old magazines and stuff. And boom, there's Chad. And I was like, who's this black guy with a guitar in D.C.? Like at the time, I was really trying to figure out like who I wanted to be. And I was hyper influenceable, you know, as like a 13, 14-year-old kid would be. And I lived in a place that was like all white, rural town, Mustang, Oklahoma. And I just didn't know who I was or how I fit in in the world. And, and then I saw Chad and I remember thinking like, oh, this is an option. Like you can do this. And then I saw like Tundata pempe and then I saw Block Party and then I was like, oh my God, like these guys look like me and they're doing this thing that connects with me. And when it came time for me to choose a place to like live after I had dropped out of college, DC was my first pick because of Smart Went Crazy and Beauty Pill and like Bad Brains and like Chuck Brown, you know, I was like, there's all these like black artists that are like doing stuff in DC. So I want to be a part of that. And that was like largely why I moved here. And uh Chad and I over the years have like become buddies. And uh I'm just I'm grateful for that dude. Like up until September of last year, like I had like a very full time job, you know, nine to five vibes. And uh I was making records and my spare time and playing in bands and touring all my vacation days away, like doing the thing. And Chad, we had dinner once and he was just like yo, like, I'm going to help you find like a, a studio. And he like hit up all these studios in DC, introduced me to all of them and was like, yo, you should hire this guy. Like he's good. And like no one had ever taken that initiative and in helping me with my music that was like older than me and like had actually done something with their musical life. And it just meant a tremendous deal. It was a big deal to me and it still is. Cause like, you, I mean, I'm literally working on my next album in the place that Chad secured for me. It wouldn't have happened without Chad. So, you know, shout out to Chad. I love that dude. He's the greatest.
1: Have uh, yours and Chad's dogs met each other?
0: They have not because it's been the pandemic. And, I, you know, yeah, I, I don't you know, I didn't I wanted to put anybody at risk, but it will happen. And I'm so glad he got a dog. Reading his dog tweets is like... Chad's dog tweets are the best. <laughs> the best.
1: <laughs> Every other day it's, you know, like, oh, I live with a monster.
0: <laughs> dude, it's amazing. Chad
2: Clark is really like top-notch social media follow. He is making like the best use of those
1: Bandcamp emails that get sent to people. Yep, the, those nearly daily Bandcamp emails are
0: super. I'm like, dude, you need a newsletter. And he would say... This is my newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's perfect. I love it. But that's also like a perfect like micro photo of Chad. Like Chad takes things and makes them useful to Chad. Like Chad sees a way to use things and to create things that other people like don't see.
1: Yeah, like like he added a he added a professional dancer to his band. You know, that that's a very different way to think about what you're doing with a band.
0: Yeah. When he talks about it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't see that. How did you see that? <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> Chad rocks. Love that guy. When you transitioned to working in
2: music full time, you chose to stay in DC. What, what makes DC a significant place for you to live and work apart from, of course, Chad Clark?
0: Well, I mean, all the reasons why I wanted to move here in the first place. Also... I have a little bit of an underdog complex. I think that it's also because I grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, I think there's a thing where it's like Oklahoma was like a little brother of Texas and always gets dunked on. And it's like, there's this Oklahoma pride kind of thing. And I kind of like looked at DC when I moved here and I was like, like in the music space, you've got like New York, Philly, Nashville, LA, Atlanta for hip hop miami for the dance stuff detroit has their house thing chicago but people gloss over dc all the time and kind of ignore that there's like serious like a tremendous amount of history that has happened and that continues to happen here like there is like some serious heavy 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 hitters here and you know i kind of was like let me like add to that let's let's make a record here let's like play shows here let's do the thing here and remind people of like kind of what I'll saying, like the history and there's also like this black connection you know DC being one of the few like majority black cities and I think it's beautiful that like I can make rock music here <laughs> it's rad
2: <laughs> yeah there's somebody to be set for like you know trying to appeal to a, a broad range of people here we love that yeah let's hear another song On this podcast, uh, we're going to go back uh, for a song from the first EP from Barty Strange. This song's called About Today.
0: Today...
1: And that was About Today by Bartiz Strange. About Today from varti's previous release, Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy, which was a reimagining of songs by The National.
2: That is, of course, available to purchase on Bandcamp if you are the buying music type, which we hope you are. So getting a start in, in sort of your, your solo moniker career covering The National and giving it a very interesting spin, an interesting... Direction and of course fortuitous that it caught on from members of the National and they helped you release it. Um, you've been, I think, pretty outspoken against uh, you know applying genre labels to some of your music and the National. I think, I think it sort of fits into in the indie rock genre, but but you've uh, definitely called out some influences like Block Party and TV on the Radio, and I, I was definitely hearing some of that there. So. What's your, what's your motivation for escaping or transcending genre? How do you think it affects your, your place in the music landscape?
0: What is my motivation for transcending genre? Um, I just never thought of it that way. I mean, someone actually, someone wrote something like a while ago that was like Archie Strange is like breaking genre barriers. And I was like, I don't feel like I'm really breaking anything. I feel like my music is like a museum. It's like, you can look at a song and I like to trace the line all the way back. I hear like the Ramones and I'm like, where'd that come from? And I look deep and deep and deep, you know, and I'm like, oh, cool. Like a lot of this stuff is blues. A lot of this stuff is country music. Like, especially with like emo music and a lot of stuff like that, that I grew up playing. I remember like having the realization that like, oh my God, like a lot of this is just sitting on a C chord. It feels very like Garth Brooks to me or very like, you know, Woody Guthrie, even like some of these, those finger picking techniques. And I was like, you know, all this stuff is just so much more connected than we like to admit. And and I guess like my goal kind of with making music generally was like, I, I mean, I moved around a lot and I listened to a lot of music. And when I made music, I just made kind of like a compilation of the things that I loved. And I kind of thought of myself as like a curator in that museum. I like showing why these things are connected. And I think that as from like a personal, you know, history, personal perspective, I, I feel this kind of like this loss as genres have been created. I feel like we've forgotten kind of like the roots of why things sound the way they do. And, you know, a lot of that is steeped in like, you know, like black Western art, especially when I think about rock music. And I always thought it was funny that like rock and roll, guitar based music, loud music. It's it comes from like a, a very black place in America, you know, and I, I I always thought, why don't we have more like big black rock bands? It feels like that would be pretty normal. Even if you look in like the seventies and eighties, like Parliament, Funkadelic, Bootsy Collins, Rick James, like these guys are like rock stars, you know, like big rock stars that were given a funk moniker, I feel like really to kind of like sidestep them and I think that that has had a huge impact on how we see black contributions in the guitar driven rock and roll space you know? <laughs> Yeah, if we wanted to get super heady with it. And so, you know, I feel like when I write songs or when I like present these ideas, it's not because I want to like supersede like genre classification. It's because I want to be real about where it came from and, and be like, yeah, let's like let's talk about why the guitars sound like that. Like, where where's that from? Let's follow it all the way back. I think it makes music better. Also, most people aren't one genre. I think most people listen to a lot of things and feel a lot of ways and aren't living black and white lives. And music should reflect that too.
1: A question related to your previous release, Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy. Could you ever see yourself doing another release of covers by another artist? And if so, who? Like, who would you... Who would you want to adapt?
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. I think about this a lot because I loved that project. That was like the most fun thing I've ever worked on because like, A, I didn't have to write lyrics. Amazing. B, it was just like, yeah, take all these songs you love and just like do whatever. You know, it's pretty fun. Um, So I know a lot about the National. I think it'd be kind of fun to do an artist I really don't know much about. and, And maybe one that is kind of like. Not faded away, but is like a, like I think of like Bauhaus, B A H A U S Bauhaus. Yep. And like their whole thing. And like I never really got it, but I know a lot of people deeply connect with it. And it makes me want to like go back into it and figure it out, you know? And so like there's like a fun challenge in there. Like I think I would actually be really interested in like taking like five or six Bauhaus songs and just like going off. He has one song called like "All I Ever Wanted Was Everything" or something, and I remember hearing it and just being like, "Why aren't there drums on this song? Like, why?" (laughs) Like, and I was, I was just like, "I want to like, I want to flip that song." Um, but, but yeah, that'd probably be like a first pick.
2: Do you feel like you got even deeper into the national by by making that project?
0: Well, I felt like I got deeper in just a different direction because I was also able to kind of like meet some of these guys you know there are so many reasons why one shouldn't do new things I think that new things are intimidating to a lot of people I never thought when I started recording that record that I would eventually like meet Matt and like work with these guys in any capacity but it was because like we made this thing that it created some gravity and then people began to swirl around it And that was like a real life lesson, like sometimes you just build the thing and who knows, like things might, might work out (laughs) and you know, people may appear around it that you didn't think would, and people may believe in you that could give your work some impact. And I think that translates into many facets of life. So I, I learned that. So not necessarily getting deeper in the music, but it gave me a new perspective on creating things.
2: Let's hear another song on the podcast. This is another song from the album Live Forever. This one's called Mustang.
1: That was Mustang from the album Live Forever by Vartese Strange. Uh, it got best new music on Pitchfork. A question for you, Vartese. There's a lyric, I just wait for my horses now. What are the horses?
0: Well, it's kind of like a weird like country saying. Sometimes like your horses run away and you can't chase them. You just kind of got to wait for them to come back. and like I was thinking about the things I was learning in New York at the time it was basically like all these things I just can't really control I was working in a job that like I really couldn't leave but I really didn't like I was trying to really come to grips with like this new person that I was becoming versus like some of the values I had obtained growing up in Oklahoma in a very conservative place a lot of like self-hate and self-doubt I was acknowledging that like there are a lot of things that I'm working through right now. They're just going to take a lot of time. And I think that like the chorus, like, is anybody up for this one? It's kind of me being like, "Will people accept me for being me, for being like the person I want to be. Or am I always going to have to keep pacifying myself so I can just like fit into like whatever social structure or professional structure that's existing. And so saying like, I just wait for my horses now is kind of just being like, yeah, man, we'll just see what happens. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, but, but that's, that's kind of what that meant to me. That's why I said that.
2: That song has like such a big sound and I think it's going to sound amazing. Like live at like a venue, like the Nine Thirty club is going to fill that whole room. I love it. Are you, are you more of a, of a lyrics person or do you lean more into creating the sounds and then finding words that fit into that area? Or is it kind of a mix of
0: both? It's definitely a mix of both. And it, really depends on the song. I feel like for this new world of music, I'm writing the lyrics are honestly like I'm writing them a lot. Like how I wrote live forever. I will like write a song and I won't know what it's about until I finish the arrangement. I feel like the message of the song is like hidden in the arrangement and I'm trying to like make the arrangement as clear as possible. And once I hit that point, the lyrics like unveil themselves to me. It's like, I, I know I've read a lot about people who just like write lyrics and then just like build songs around them. And I'm like, I'm always looking for the emotion. What is the, like the emotion I want this song to get across. And then once I get that across, then like the lyrics are like easy. Okay, cool. Like this song is already like giving me the vibe I want. Now I just need to write within these parameters and make it clear as possible. I mean, I will be writing lyrics until like the day I record because it's oftentimes up until that day that I've been working on the arrangement of the song.
1: A question actually about your mom. Your mom's an opera singer. How did your mom get into opera and what can you tell us about her experience and work as as a black opera singer?
0: Yeah, I mean, my mom rocks. Dr. Donna Mitchell Cox. She lives right over here in Suitland, Maryland. She just moved, she moved out here, um, from Oklahoma a couple of years ago. But, um, yeah, I mean, my mom and my dad grew up in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. My mom grew up in a neighborhood called Hidden Valley, but my mom sang at like every church in North Carolina. Like everyone knew my mom and my mom is from a long line of singers and like Chitlin circuit players. And like people who like throughout the South have like always been musicians or Jubilee singers or something like that. And, um, you know, my mom was like gifted and she had a choral director who just like knew it and um, got a tape of her singing and sent that sucker to um, Eastman School of Music <laughs> and they gave her a scholarship, you know, and that was kind of like her way out of Charlotte and it got her to Rochester, New York. And she began like her career as a singer and she had me in Europe. She was singing in Europe, um, but yeah, my mom was singing all over the world and She's pretty, she's pretty tough. She's a great singer. And yeah, she had a huge impact on me and my singing. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. Do you feel like opera has been an influence on your music
0: at all? Has opera been an influence on my music? I don't know. Definitely on how I sing. I mean, I feel like I learned a lot just like vocal techniques and breathing and knowing where something should sit in your body when you're singing and how to do it night after night after night. I mean, those are very valuable skills and, uh, I feel like my mom and kind of like that training prepared me for that. Yeah. Cause I was like in opera camps and stuff, you know, up until my mid teens. So yeah.
1: What's opera camp like?
0: It's hilarious. Oh my God. It's like theater camp, but everyone is like nerdier and not as athletic. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the theater kids were like way cuter and fun (laughs) than the (laughs) opera kids. (laughs) But I remember like opera camp for me was kind of funny because I played sports pretty competitively as a kid, football, basketball, ran track. My dad was a boxer, you know, so I, I always was around sports and music and there's just so many funny photos and like moments of life of me, like going to football practice and then like running to opera camp and like putting my makeup on.
1: Football to opera.
0: Oh man. Or like leaving opera camp and being like, Oh, I've got a basketball game, so I'm throwing my jersey on, I've got my makeup on, and take my wig off. Like, you know, <laughs> just like so ready, you know, like so ready to do everything. But I think that kind of is like, just like those moments definitely had an impact on me because now I'm just like, Yeah, like let's try some stuff. Like, I love experiencing new things. And, and, uh, yeah, opera camp was, was huge. Shout out to the opera camp.
1: <laughs> do you think there's space? In our world for a uh, an opera about sports a sports opera
0: that is a brilliant freaking idea. oh my God. <laughs> yes, I think we can have a sports opera <laughs>
2: <laughs> um how how do you consume music these days? How does the the awesome new stuff find its way into your ears and heart?
0: Um friend recommendations, honestly. Oh, oh my God. I've had such an interesting relationship with even that. Like, I remember, like, honestly, for like Live Forever, I was always listening to freaking everything because like I just love eating music. But sometimes I'd hear stuff that was a little too good and it would like threaten me. And I'd be like, I can't listen to this.
1: Oh, the, the, the stuff that threatens is the worst. Like there are podcasts I won't listen to because they have gotten too good or too famous.
0: Yes. Oh my God. Yes. And especially like when you live in New York for a while, you know, some people who have like truly exploded and became super famous and you used to hang out with them. That stuff was like, crushing me you know you're just like i'm never gonna make it like nothing is ever gonna work out you know and it was hard to listen to a lot of good music but in the last year now that like things have changed a little bit i'm like oh yeah extremely receptive to all music (laughs) it's a mess and it like i'm like dude bartice you've got to work on that that is not a sustainable way to think about yourself or the things you make but it's real and um i'm not like a big like blog reader or anything but i am on social a lot and I see music pop up from time to time and I check it out and there's a lot of new stuff that I really love. Yeah. Uh,
1: You played football in college and had a football scholarship, but I read it was something that you, that it was a a means to an end. What was it that didn't uh, grab you or keep you in? And then uh, to spin this negative Norman of a question into a positive one, what did you take away from that experience?
0: Yeah, I think, um, throughout my life I always did what I was good at and I don't think I did the things that I really loved. I think um, one thing about moving a lot is you are always trying to fit in. And especially when you're like the only black kid in a white town, you're like trying extra hard to fit in. So I think it's easy to lose yourself in that under those circumstances. And I think that was football for me. Like football was in many ways like super traumatizing for me and, took years for me to kind of like sort through like why like that whole experience had so much power over me, but I just never liked it. And it took a long time for me to actually realize that. And I remember it when I I got a scholarship to play football to college in Kansas Emporia State University. And I just remember thinking like, honestly, like it felt so, I felt like they were taking advantage of us, us black kids. There were so many black kids from the poor towns, you know, tough families, tough neighborhoods from all over the South. And we had all been promised this dream that I knew wasn't real. You know, like they were all telling us that this was the biggest day of our life or like, you got to take state. There's nothing bigger than that. Or, oh, you got to go play football at Oklahoma State or OU or Texas. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. That's a horrible horrible thing to set up for a young black person in America you know I've seen so many people go through that process and come out of it and all of a sudden you're 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 a god one day and then you're being arrested for a marijuana charge the next literally the day you graduate college if you don't go to the NFL you know I, I just I've seen that system just chew up so many promising young people that could have done so much and it broke my heart and it was hard to be a part of that knowingly. And I felt like I just saw it so vividly in those days. And so um, quitting football, it taught me to think more about the things I actually want out of life and, and think a lot less about how I can make people more comfortable with my existence. If, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah.
2: Let's hear another song on the podcast. This one is by our friends, Brooke Royals. Hey.
0: the wedding
2: what do you, you want, want me, me to say can we afford this cocaine the one thing That song was called Gold Brick Champion by Broke Royals featuring Bartiz Strange. That is a single that you can get on their Bandcamp or of course on all the streaming platforms. Tell us about Broke Royals, how you got connected with them and how the experience was working with them.
0: Phil, Phil's persistent and just hit me up. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And I love him, you know, and Tamir, like Tamir Gore, their um, bass player. I follow him on Instagram and he's absolutely the funniest human being I've ever met in my life. And so I was like, yeah, I would love to hang with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hang. And that's kind of how it always goes. I'm like, yeah, like, can we hang? Period. And we could hang. So that's why that went down. But yeah, I love that song. Cool song.
1: Phil Baznight of Broke Royals is a another great social media follow. I remember a few months back, he posted a link to like a new... Ben Gibbard signature guitar and he tweeted it with the caption so this is the new gear <laughs>
0: yes that is that is a Phil tweet 100%
1: <laughs> <laughs> what is a Goldrick champion do you know
0: I honestly kind of thought it was like a joke from my interpretation of the song is he's just like I'm crushing it but also like nothing's really going well <laughs> You know, like I love it. Like that line about like, can we afford this copay? You know, it's like, it's so real, you know, it's like, and and I feel like I know so many people who are so faking it till they make it so hard, especially in DC, man, where it's like, it costs like a jillion dollars to live here. You have to spend like 65% of your money to pay rent here. And you also have to look like it's very easy and you are handling it and everything is totally fine. And I feel like that's something that like people in these big cities are dealing with so hard and feel like encapsulated it so well. And I think the part of the song that's like so freaking smart and sneaky as hell, is like, he's using the melody of boys of summer in the background. I don't know if you hear it, like, you know, boys of summer have come. Oh, wow. And I was like, that is like literally the most hopeful, I'm a child, nothing can go wrong, I love being young, live forever vibe, but he's like contrasted it with like, yeah, everything's going great. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to pay rent next month. <laughs> <laughs> that's like some sick songwriting. I was like, yo, shout out to you, Phil. I don't know if you know you did that, but you did that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, in addition to to producing your own stuff you are you're in the studio helping out others doing some producing for other people is it challenging to to go from you know working on your own music to producing music for other musicians and and how do you decide you know what acts you want to work
0: with um it's not actually i thought it was going to be more of a challenge the real challenge is just like personalities i honestly feel like i'm back at my pr job you know like it's like Client services is waiting tables. (laughs) That producing a record is just waiting tables. Wow, it's like making sure everyone's good, making sure everyone's got their water, making sure that like the order is is right. Like they asked for drums to sound this way, did we get them to sound that way? Yes or no? You're gonna know pretty quick, you know. (laughs) Like you know, it's like I, I, I like I draw so many lines to like being a producer and working in like a service based industry, you know, way more than being like. I'm a producer and I have this vision and I'm like magical, which I think a lot of people expect a producer to be. I'm more just like, yeah, let's like make sure that like you get the food you want and like you're in and out of the restaurant as quickly as possible because you've got a life and I do too. So let's like make a record. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I think about it. But I've learned so much from artists over the year and it's been really cool to like get better at making things without like working on your own stuff. I feel like I've like taken more risks and learned a lot of things. Uh, I probably wouldn't have learned otherwise.
1: Bartiz, if you were a ghost, where would you haunt?
0: Oh my gosh. If I were, a, oh my God, you know, I had a football coach that was like evil and I would haunt him.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would haunt the the crap out of him. And I'd be like, yeah, you were pretty, pretty rough, dude. <laughs> He's like, oh, my God, I just hear live forever all night. I can't sleep. Get those streams up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And that is almost taking us to the end of this episode of the Loose Listening Party. We want to once again thank our friends at the Loose Foundation Center in the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Please go check them out. The Smithsonian American Art Museum and its Renwick Gallery are now open to the public. Please check out americanart.si.edu slash visit for more information. And we are hoping to get the live music going there again real soon. You know, we'll see how things go later in the year. And we also really want to thank Barty Strange for taking time out of his recording schedule to chat
0: with us. Everybody should follow him. What, uh, What kind of social medias do you want to point people to? Follow me on Twitter. I'm just Barty strange there and follow me on Instagram. Those are my most updated things. Yeah. But it's just Barty strange. If you look up a Bartice and it's not me, that's my dad. Don't follow him. <laughs> 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 yeah,
2: we have one last song to head out for on this episode of the podcast. This is dim wizard with a brand new single called whole lot of nothing.
0: Um, Bartiz, what can you tell us about dim wizard? Dude, David rocks, man. Like I, this guy, David Combs, I have like so much love for, I wish I could talk to him more. I literally hope he hears this. So he like knows how bad I feel for not being able to hang more. Oh, I love him. And I'm every time I am around him, I'm like, God, why do I have a meeting in 45 minutes? This blows. (laughs) He's also like the most understanding and like kind person. I feel like we're all conditioned to like people like being mad at us. Generally. I feel like everyone starts an email with sorry these days, but like with David, it's, you don't got to do that. He's like, he gets it, you know? And I appreciate his open mindedness and his brilliance. He's a tremendous artist. And I feel like he's one of the few artists I know who can like write hooks like on guitars other than my guitar player, Dan, David can do that too. And, and, uh, you know, it's pretty powerful. He's, he's, he's like, the greatest. David, you rock. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, from uh, Max Levine Ensemble. Yes. Bad Moves. Yes. His own solo work as Spoon Boy. And now this new uh, moniker and uh, his work at Comet Ping Pong, that live music series is just absolutely top notch. We love everything he does. And, you know, absolute gem to have making DC music better. Definitely. And we absolutely appreciate that. He rolls. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Tony.
1: Thank you, Paul. And we'll, and we'll see, see, you see you all next time. Next time.